the podcast of Imago Day Community, where we're convicted to help bring the whole gospel to the whole person, to the whole world. Join us in this Sunday service as we look to the scriptures seeking to be transformed into the image of Christ. We're glad that you're with us today. We are uh, in a series, wrapping up a series actually, called We Give Thanks. And we've been looking at kind of a theology of thankfulness and recognizing that God has given us this sort of command. And uh, the deeper we go into it, we realize he didn't give us this command because he really wants to be appreciated and doesn't feel like he gets enough of it. He gives us the command to give thanks because it protects us and our hearts from sort of sliding away from God into ungratefulness. And we do that pretty easily. So I know that uh, like texting your thanks sounds kind of cheesy, but it's actually really cool during worship to hear from all of you and to hear the things that God is doing in your life and your heart and to hear kind of the community's voices uh, as we sing together. So feel free to text those in. All right, here's where we've been. The first week we looked at the fact that when Jesus takes our thanks, he takes our thankful people, and he actually uses that to change us and make us faithful people. That at the core of uh, the fall and sort of humanity's rebellion against God was this sense of unthankfulness and ungratefulness. Last week we looked at the, how Jesus takes thankful people and makes them loving people. Like he actually changes your heart towards people when you're willing to give thanks for them. People that you love, people that are difficult. And God does something in our soul there. Well today I wanna finish with the idea that Jesus takes thankful people and he makes them enduring, mature, persevering people who are strong in faith. And uh, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter five. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and we're just going to look at one verse, and it is verse 18, and what he says is this, he says, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. What I'm interested in us kind of breaking down is what is that? What does that look like? What does it mean? Here's why I think God continually commands thankfulness. And, and it's not for him, like I said earlier, it's for us. So I want you to look at this slide. People that aren't, like if you just forget, if you, if you quit being thankful, then you quickly become forgetful. And what I mean by that is that you... You're no longer paying attention to the things that God has given you, blessed you with, put in your life. Because you're not practicing thankfulness and and as a fallen, sinful human being, we just sort of easily lose an attentiveness to the goodness. And so we go from thankfulness and we just stop doing that and we slide right into forgetfulness. And it doesn't take long before that forgetfulness leads to an ungratefulness. There's a sense of entitlement, a sense that you deserve something. And that slide from ungratefulness isn't far from rebellion or just sort of a religious lostness. 
Now, it, it seems like a really bad place to end up, but what's, what's crazy is to think that it actually, you start the slide at that very simple, subtle place where you just quit giving thanks. And that's where the slide starts. And so that's why throughout scripture, over and over, you, we're called to give thanks. And here we're called to give thanks in all things. And what I want us to pay attention to is not just the thankfulness, but how do we not go to rebellion, but how do we actually enter into the all things? Because those are, what does he mean by that? What does he mean by all things? Well, I think he's talking about really good things. I think he's talking about really bad things, sinful things. I think he's talking about confusing things, circumstances that you don't understand. I think he's talking about really hard things. And the last thing that we want to do is just kind of slap verses on pain, on suffering, on loss, on grief, and just smile and pretend, right? But we do want to really know if Paul is just blowing sunshine or he's actually giving us a tool to move towards God in any circumstance that you find yourself in. And that tool is thankfulness. You can turn this off now. Four markers that I think help us. The first is this. You have to identify what circumstance you're in. What kind of circumstance are you in? We'll talk about four different types of circumstances. But too often, wherever we find ourselves, we're not really honest with God about it. So we go into kind of pretending in our spiritual lives. When I say identify your circumstances, to be honest. This is hard, this is confusing, this is good, whatever that would be. And to also be honest about the temptation for you in that circumstance. Because there's always a temptation to believe a lie, to run from God, to respond away from God. So that honesty is being able to identify the circumstance, but be honest about that temptation. And then finally, it's finding the promise that God gives us in the midst of our circumstance. The promise that Jesus brings with the gospel to us in that circumstance, and that's what you give thanks for. Not, not necessarily the loss or whatever that would be, but you give thanks for that promise. And the miracle is that in that relationship, in that tension, in that interaction, God changes you, and he transforms your character, and he'll make you mature. Okay, so let's look at Four types of circumstances. Let's talk about good circumstances, since that's an easy place to start, right? Uh, good circumstances. What's the temptation for us when it's all going well? You got enough cash, everyone's healthy, everyone's happy, your job, your work, your outlook, your future. It's all going great. What's the temptation? The temptation, if we move away from thankfulness, is that we begin to believe that we made that happen. Pride sets in. We look at our life and we went, it was my skills, my gifts, my 
intellect, my whatever. And, and instead of stopping and recognizing that this all was given to us. Here's what James says. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Right? Every good thing has come from him. So if you go, well, I got my job because of my brains, my intellect, my, my personality. Where did you get that? Did you make that happen? What was to say that you were born with that instead of a low IQ? Could you have changed that? Right? What thankfulness does is it, it connects us to the goodness of God. And when we're connected to the goodness of God, we're in our proper place knowing that he's the creator and the giver and we're the receiver and the created. And what that does when you begin to practice this is it, it transforms you into a humble person, right? And that's what Jesus was. It, it gives you this Christ-like quality that is humility. Now, if you tell someone, go be humble, it's really difficult, right? Just quit being arrogant, start being humble. Okay, it's impossible if you're prideful to do that. But thankfulness is kind of the key to get there. Thankfulness begins to pay attention and becomes attentive and starts to learn and see the world differently. And that thankfulness that recognizes God as the giver of your good circumstance will transform you. The Spirit of God will change you into a humble person. The good circumstances are sort of easy. But what about those other ones? What about the sinful circumstances? What about the, the confusing circumstances? What about the really hard circumstances? And I know that many of you are there, have been there, or carry the wounds from being there. And I don't ever want you to feel like you come to church and we're dishonest about pain or suffering or loss. Nor, though, do I want us to be dishonest about the promises of God. And so somewhere between recognizing that the world is not the way it's supposed to be and moving so far away that you're just rebelliously ungrateful, there is a, a promise and a hope in the middle of that. That's what I want us to push into. There is an appropriate thankfulness in all circumstances. And it probably takes a tremendous amount of grace to find it. And thankfully, we have a God that's full of grace. So let's talk about sinful circumstances. Let's talk about those places where you find yourself where you have just messed it up royally, right? It's your choices, it's your behaviors, your actions, and now your circumstances are a mess. You've lost your spouse. You've lost a job. You've lost relationships that were vital to you. You've lost hope. You've lost respect. Whatever those things are. But in your choices, in your rebellion, you find yourself in just a completely messed up circumstance. It is a bad place. 
So what is the, how do we give thanks in that place? Like, do you say, God, thanks that I'm being a loser? Like, that, that doesn't sound right. Well, let's first just try to identify, like, how did I get here? I'm here because I'm in a, a circumstance created by my sin. So be honest about that. Don't blame everybody else for that. It's you. Your choice is you did that. Now, what's the temptation? And this is, these are not clean and clear. This is every personality, every response. But I, I could say, here's one temptation, would to be go, I'm too far gone. It's too messed up. It's beyond hope, right? And so you begin to wallow in that circumstance and you move into this place of despair, isolation. There's, I, I've just wrecked everything. So what's the promise? Well, turn with me to Romans 8. Because what I want to do with these three circumstances, evil, kind of sinful circumstances, confusing circumstances, hard circumstances, I want to take all the promises from one chapter. Because, not because I think they get answered here completely, but because I want to show you that this is one chapter of the Bible. And it's a really big book. And there are, it is full of promises it is full of people and circumstances. And what's beautiful, what I love about the scriptures, is that when you read them, it's not like you're just reading a book of saints that stand on high and are embarrassed by you. Like these are people who can identify with finding themselves in sinful circumstances. In fact, when you get to Genesis, like chapter, you're just three chapters into this book and they've ruined everything and you're like, this is like, a family reunion for me. This is like my cousins. These, this is, I, I know these people. This is who I am, right? And so it is a book full of people uh, just like you and a great God who gives promises of redemption to people just like you. But I just want to, so that we're just going to look at one chapter, but there's a lot more. So get into your Bible. Here's what it says, chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit, who gives life, has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Romans chapter eight, verse one, brings this promise. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As you stand there in your circumstance, in the, in the rubble of your choices and that temptation to run, to flee, to move away from God, to say you're too far gone, the gospel shows up there and it announces that because of Christ's righteousness, because of his death and resurrection, God pronounces you forgiven and he announces that there is no condemnation 
Now, here's how you know if you want God or you're using God. Because if, if you're in circumstances that you created through your own choices, and I say that in the midst of those circumstances, God says there's no condemnation. He offers forgiveness. And that lightens your heart. That gives you hope. Then you know that's a good sign, that your spirit is moving towards God. But if all you want God to do is fix the consequences of your sin, then I don't know that you're ready to move towards God. Consequences are there. You created them. But God in his mercy will be with you in them. And he will transform you and forgive you. Right? So do you want God or do you want to use God? Paul gives us this promise, therefore, there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And if you can, in the midst of your circumstances, your bad, sinful circumstances, if you can begin to give thanks for that, to tell God honestly where you're at, why you're there, how you got there, but then to honestly give thanks for Jesus for his death, for his resurrection, for his pronouncement over you that there's now no condemnation. If you can do that, then that thankfulness, God will use that by his spirit to change you and give you a confidence that you are not beyond your own choices. You are not beyond the grace of God. But does this work if you're the victim of somebody else's sin, right? Let's say you weren't the one that chose this, but you're in the wreck, you're in the train wreck of somebody else's decisions and their sinful choices, so where is the hope for you? And, and, and all I can tell you is that at the heart of the gospel is the idea of reconciliation. And that the God who not only died for our Wounds that we put on him also died for our woundedness, right? That the cross is sufficient not only for your forgiveness but also for your healing because people hurt each other. And, and, and to abandon God in that moment would be the worst thing for you to do. But to move into God and recognize that there, by his wounds, are you healed. And the power to forgive and to reconcile comes from the hope of the gospel. And so to be able to let that promise speak in. Even if you could never imagine forgiving at this point, you could never imagine reconciling at this point to at least be able to say, God, thank you that you died for my pain here too. You died for my loss in their choices. You died not only to forgive me, but to empower me to be a forgiver. Not only to heal me, but to empower me to be healed. If you could begin just to dare to, to thank God for those promises, 
Like he will transform your heart into someone who's confident, right? You're confident that you can endure this because you have a God that's bigger than the person who hurt you. Sinful things, sinful circumstances, you can give thanks there for the promises of God. How about confusing things? Like just those things that you go, I don't know what happened there. And again, these aren't categories that are hard and fast. You could go, it's hard and confusing and sinful. It could be all these things. But, but confusing things, what I'm thinking of is you don't know what happened. You don't know if it was sin. You don't know if it was God. You don't know if it was the devil. You don't know if it was just life. Could it have been stopped? Could it have been fixed? A relationship that blew up, a loss of a, a job, a loss of a friend, a loss of uh, a loved one, like just something, you're in a hard circumstance, and every time you try to figure it out, all you come up with is why and no answers. What do you do in that place? Well, again, be honest with God. I'm confused. I'm frustrated, name it. This is the circumstance. But then secondly, I think, what, what would the temptation be for you? And this is very personal, but what would it be for you in a confusing place? I think for some of us, it's unbelief. It's, it's sort of this idea that God's not good and he's not here. He's not involved. So I'm in a really confusing place. There's no answers. I cry out why into the void. Nothing comes back. So God must have just sort of disengaged. And now I'm here to go through this on my own. And if you let that seed, that root of unbelief, sort of bear down in your heart and put its roots down, then it's going to move you away from God. But instead of going passively into that temptation, what if you name it and you resist it and you look for the promise? God, where, where is your promise for me to give thanks for in the midst of this circumstance, this confusing circumstance? Romans 8, verse 18, same passage. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation's been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait patiently. 
So here in the midst of that, Paul explains the confusion. And, and, and you can go through lots of places in Scripture and find people who find themselves in confusing places. And he says, but the, but the deal is this, like creation is groaning. The world is broken. It doesn't completely make sense here. And the hope that you are given in Christ isn't that he's going to make this moment less confusing, but that he's going to give you a, a hope beyond the groaning, beyond the brokenness, beyond the frustration, beyond the confusion. And if you're going to mature in your faith, then you are going to move to wanting, to a longing for something more than just your best life now, right? You're gonna be longing to see Jesus face to face. You're gonna be longing to get through a world that groans You're gonna be longing for the redemption of your body when all things are made new. And so in the midst of this confusing circumstance, God doesn't say I'm not here or I'm not involved. He gives great explanation for why you may be in it, but he also speaks into that circumstance with this hope of a future of glory, of redemption, of adoption, of sonship and daughterhood and being able to be face to face with the lover of your soul. And that, as you get older and you draw closer to Jesus, that becomes more and more attractive. So the purpose of maturity is to create a longing for home and a longing for Jesus. And so as you sit there in that circumstance, as confusing as it may be, could you, could you name that temptation of unbelief and fight it? And could you stand in that promise that not only is God with you in it, but he's given you a hope that's much bigger than the confusion? And what happens when you begin to give thanks for that hope? Give thanks for that redemption. Give thanks for that adoption, right? Then your heart changes, your character changes, and you become a person of hope. A person who isn't defined by their circumstance, but a person who is actually being defined by the gospel. And the gospel has a hope that's bigger than your confusion. And sometimes in the confusion, all you can do is cling to that hope. But Jesus is enough. He's enough. Maturity is discovering that that's true. It's discovering that that's true. So could you dare, in your confusion, to give thanks for the hope that he offers you? Lastly, hard things. The fallen reality of life, the loss of a loved one, the grief that you feel, um, the, the, the terminal uh, verdict that your doctor gave you, the brokenness uh, of a fallen world, and it shows up in so many different ways. It's the child with a disability, it's the, uh, it's the baby who didn't make it through childbirth. It's all these things, and, and we look at those circumstances, and they're brutal and they're excruciating 
Everything in us screams out that we were not made for this. And everything in scripture agrees with you. You were never created to die. Death is non-creation, it's non-being. It is a destructive attack from the enemy upon the goodness of God's creation. But when you taste the bitterness of that moment, the sting of that moment, there is a huge temptation to move away from God. I don't know what that is for you, right? Is it to quit and say, forget it, I'm done? Is it to to just say, God doesn't make a difference because this hurts me as bad as it hurts someone who hates God? So God's not even gonna make a difference in this situation. Why would I run to him? What is your temptation in the midst of that hard thing? Have you been in that hard thing? Some of you barter with God. And your bartering is as long as you keep me away from going through a hard circumstance, I'll follow you. Which by the way, Jesus died on a cross. That's the guy you're following. But our bartering is, hey, just as long as I don't get any pain, I'm good, right? We're in a fallen world, we're going to be in hard circumstances, and what I want to prepare you for, I wanna prepare your faith for, is that you can come through those, not get wiped out by them. And so naming the difficulty, naming the loss, naming the grief, naming that circumstance, being honest with God about it, and then calling the temptation what it is. Like, God, I want to quit. God, I don't know what difference you make. God, whatever that thing is, being honest with him about it. And then finding that promise to give thanks for. Here's how... Paul ends Romans 8, verse 28. He says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good. Another, all things, just like all circumstances, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he justified. And those he justified, he glorified. And so what will we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one that condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and he is also interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword That's the description of a lot of hard circumstances. He says, it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We're considered to be sheep 
to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, you want to clap after you hear that. You know what I mean? It's, it's like, dude, you nailed that. Like, that promise is so much bigger than the hard reality of your circumstance. It doesn't diminish it or minimize it or say, oh, it shouldn't hurt. Or It freaking hurts. And it sucks. And it's painful. And nobody's asking you to put a fake smile on. But also, I never want to see any of us in our pain, in the hardness of those circumstances, be beat by them, right? I don't ever want the enemy to take your hard circumstances and defeat your faith because you believed his lie that said God doesn't make a difference, God doesn't care, God's not here, So in the feeling of that pain, in the sorrow of that loss, I want you to also, I want you also give thanks for God's promises that not even that, as harsh as it is, can separate you from his love. And it's okay to say, I don't feel it. I don't know where it's at. I don't know how this is gonna happen, but you have promised it. And so I thank you for that promise. The miracle of going through these hard places, if you can do it with thankfulness for the promises of who God is, is that there is a transformation that takes place. There's a maturity, a strength, uh, a a kind of an inner power that comes from his spirit that can never be taken away from you. Don't waste your pain, right? Don't waste the hardness of that circumstance on bitterness. Move towards God and thank him for his promises. Jesus makes thankful people strong, mature, persevering people. I know for some of us, we have a tendency to, in our pain, this is a really natural thing, but in our pain, perhaps judge other people's response to pain. So if you don't respond to pain the way I respond to pain, I think you're fake, you know? So some of you are tempted to go, if, if I saw someone in my circumstances give thanks, I'd think they were a liar. But don't do that. Don't do that. Don't judge somebody else who's moving towards maturity with our own immaturity. And I know it hurts, and I know it sucks, and I know that you don't want to see people happy or thriving or doing better than you when you're hurting. But don't judge from that spot. Right? We're all on our own journey. Hard circumstances are hard circumstances. But don't get stuck in bitterness, right? Allow the hope of the gospel to move you to thankfulness for Jesus.
So, here we are, and we come to this table, and, uh, and I ask the question, what if, what if you can't be thankful, right? It's quite possible that you can't. It might take you years, but you can move forward, right? You don't have to stay stuck. So you can be honest with God about your circumstance, You can be honest with God about your temptation and unbelief. You can be honest with God that he made the promise. You can tell him you're not quite ready to receive it, but make some step forward. And some of you today will dare to give thanks for the promises of God in the midst of really, really hard circumstances. And I would just tell you this, There's plenty of grace for you to move into thankfulness. But you gotta come to Jesus for it. Yeah, you gotta seek him. Be real with him, be honest with him. There'll be people at the doors who would love to pray with you. Don't go through this alone, right? And uh, this table is a broken body and shed blood, the sacred symbol of bread and wine that we come to to receive grace today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for uh, my family here at Imago. I thank you for courageous people who I know are going through um, good and, and sinful and confusing and hard circumstances. And so Father, uh, with pain, there is sort of a sacredness where the soul's doors are opened and uh, our ears are more attentive to hear. So my prayer, God, is that you would give us the ears to hear. You would allow us to be honest with you, honest with ourselves. You would allow us to, to confess. God, we would choose to confess our unbelief, our ungratefulness, our um, sort of running away from you. God, you would give us the, the courage to cling to your promises and to thank you for them because we believe they're true and they're right and they're for us. And then, Father, we'll trust you to... Uh, to do your transforming work, to give us a bigger heart for you, to make us more of who you made us to be, and to draw us into a deeper love with you. But God, perhaps all we can do today is just move forward somehow. And I thank you that you promised to meet us right there. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that God will use this message to strengthen your faith and draw you into a deeper relationship with himself. If you are interested in hearing other sermons or want more information about the church, please visit our website at www.amagodaycommunity.com.